I don't know what to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't understand why it happened this way. Why? These are statements which we've all muttered. And, and when my faith falters, and when your faith begins to fade amidst a barrage of seemingly unanswered questions, what do we do? We're tempted to ride the roller coaster of emotions. Turn with me to Hebrews 3. Hebrews 3. We're looking at six verses quickly this morning. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus. Holy brothers and sisters, holy brothers and sisters, all of us who have trusted in Jesus' lordship through his sacrifice, we are made holy. We have been given his righteousness when he took our sins upon himself. And we are connected to him because of salvation. And because we are connected to him, then we are connected to one another as well. And at the Last Supper, Jesus prayed that we would become one with him and one together in him. And a few weeks ago, we saw in Hebrews chapter 2, in 10 and 11, we saw the following about Jesus. Jesus, for whom are all things, and through whom are all things made in order to bring many sons and daughters to to glory, to heaven, to salvation, it was fitting for Jesus, it was fitting and appropriate for Jesus, who is the originator of our salvation, it was fitting for him to be perfected through his suffering. Namely, the suffering on the cross. Because Jesus, he, he who sanctifies, he's the one who makes us clean and and sets us apart. And those who are sanctified, all of us who have trusted in him, we are all from one Father. And for this reason, Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. And so, really right out of the starting gate, when your faith falters, when my faith falters, we need to remember who we are. We need to remember who he is. Remember who we are. It's not about how we feel. It's about what we know. What we know to be true. We are partakers of a heavenly calling in the very same way where Jesus took on flesh, became like us. We are now partakers of a a heavenly calling. And we saw this last week in, in Hebrews chapter 2, those two verses we looked at, 17 and 18. We see that therefore Jesus had to be made like his brothers and sisters in all things so that he might become a merciful and a faithful high priest in all things pertaining to God so that he could make atonement for our sins. And and, and the writer would go on to say, for since Jesus himself was tempted in all things, He never fell to temptation, but he was tempted in every way just like we are, but he never fell prey to those temptations. He is able to come to our aid. He's not far off in an ivory tower looking down his nose condescendingly to you and to me. He has suffered like us. Jesus is made like us 
We have his very life in us. Holy partakers called to salvation and given a down payment of eternity. Wednesday night, we, we saw the, these next couple of verses. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul, Paul says that in, in him, in Jesus, you, after listening to the message of truth, listening to the gospel of your salvation, having believed it, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance. At that moment, you, you believed You were sealed in him. And then Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he would say, now, he who establishes us in Christ and who has anointed us is is God, who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge, as a promise, has laid claim. And now we are commanded to consider to set our focus on, another way of writing that, on the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus. We we are told here he is an apostle. And see, when we hear the word apostle, we think of Paul and we think of those early church preachers and planners, ones who, well, the definition of apostle is one one who has been sent. A messenger a delegate, one who is commissioned by another to represent, to be a representative in some way. And, and Jesus, who is God the Son, has been commissioned by God the Father to represent him. So Jesus functions as an apostle. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, I and the Father, we're one. That got him into some trouble, by the way. In John 14, Jesus states, if you had known me, Actually, he says first, I am, in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. No one will come to the Father except through me. And then he says this, if you had known me, you would have, would have known my Father also, if you'd known me. And from now on you know him and you've seen him. And he's talking about himself. You see, an apostle is one who's sent. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus said to the disciples, I must preach the kingdom of God, for I was sent for this purpose. And later on in Luke chapter 10, Jesus reminds them when he, when he sends them out, he commissions them, he says, the one who listens to you listens to me. And the one who rejects you rejects me. And he who rejects me <laughs> rejects the one who sent me, namely God the Father. Interestingly enough... This is the only time in the New Testament Jesus is called an apostle. But he, his ministry is one of being a messenger. He functions as an apostle, and he functions as a high priest. As a priest, and again, a lot of this language to our ear sounds just odd. Because we don't really talk about priests. But a priest is one who intercedes for the people and makes sacrifice for the people and acts as a mediator between God and the people. And Jesus, this morning, he he is interceding for you and for me. He's praying for you. He's praying for me as he is seated at the right hand of God this morning. And he does this because because he was the sacrifice. 
He didn't just make sacrifice. He was the sacrifice on the cross for us and has mediated salvation for us. And now, as holy brothers and sisters, joint heirs with Jesus, we are to consider Jesus. We are, to, we are commanded to set our focus upon Jesus. We are partakers of this heavenly calling. Whew, when, when our faith falters, you have to remember what you have in him. I have to remember what I have in him. That's, that's, why you've, that's why you've come. You've come to see what it is that Jesus offers you. Look at what all he does for you. All of these functions, these are, these are not just vacant titles. This is the most righteous blah, 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 blah that really means nil. I'm the associate... Second in command director. That's not what these are. He's an apostle. And he is a merciful and a faithful high priest. And what this does, this allows us access to God. And this is why you're here. So that when you wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning afraid and full of anxiety, and you're not resting on how you feel or your emotions, or <gasps> you're resting on what you know. You've got one who's praying for you and... Who would we rather have praying for us than Jesus himself? Amen. Jesus himself. Mm. This is why it's good to know his job description. What's he supposed to be doing? This is what he does for us. And Jesus, verse 2, he's faithful to the Father who appointed him as Moses also was in all his house. Jesus, as we have seen in our sing, he's faithful to the Father. The Father has appointed Jesus for a purpose. We've seen this throughout Scripture. One who is appointed by the Lord to be slain for the sins of the world. Jesus has been faithful to the Father. Even on the night of his arrest when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he said, I really don't want to do this. Father, I pray that this cup of wrath would, would be passed by me. I don't want it. Prayed three times ask for help in praying that this would bypass him. He's resolute in following his father's resolute will, and he says, not my will, Father, but yours. He was faithful to the Father. And Moses, so now we have Moses introduced in this letter. He pops up here for the first time. Moses, a father of the faith, and he's faithful, faithful in all of God's house. Moses, one who is called by God to be, to be a shepherd and to lead his people out of slavery in Egypt and, and through sin. Actually, that wilderness is named sin there. So Moses leads the people through, out of slavery through sin to a land promised by God. And here the writer to the Hebrews refers to an event in Moses' life where Moses' leadership is questioned. In Numbers chapter 12, <laughs> siblings or something. I have a sister. And my wife and I, as you know, we have three children, and it's been, it's been, it's been interesting to watch them grow and to interact these umpteen years and watch them, for the most part, get along. 
But if you've, if you've ever had a sibling or you've had, you, you know what I'm talking about. It's interesting to watch how all that can unfold sometimes on a day-to-day basis. And along the road of life, there are dust-ups in the family, even as, even as adults. And in Numbers chapter 12, Miriam and Aaron, the sister and brother to Moses, they speak out against Moses. And they say, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? You kind of get the heart of what's going on here, right? Full sibling rivalry. And we see that the Lord hears their grumbling. Uh Uh-oh. And in Numbers chapter 12, verse 4, we read, Suddenly the Lord says to Moses and Aaron and to Miriam, You three come out to the tent of meeting. Uh, I know I've said it to, to my three. Come out here right now. Maybe you've heard the same thing or you said the same thing in your household. Get out here right now. The Lord comes down in a pillar of a cloud. And he stands at the doorway of the tent of the meeting. And he calls out Aaron and Miriam and he says the following. The Lord says, now hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I the Lord shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak with him in a dream. But not so with Moses. He is faithful in all of my household. And if we were to go back just a few verses to Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, we would read the following about Moses. The man Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. And the Lord has just called him faithful. And he says this about Moses. With Moses, I speak mouth to mouth. I speak directly to him. I don't speak in a vision. I don't speak in a dream. I speak with Moses directly because Moses is faithful in all my household. The writer to the Hebrews reminds us of this reality here. And, and there's, here's something else. The word house can, can mean, yes, a, a dwelling or an abode or building. But here, the context here, it can mean God's people. A house of faith. The writer says in verse 3, Jesus, for he, Jesus, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself. We have builders here, so I'm getting my head around, scratching my head. How do I explain this? <laughs> Moses is worthy of glory. There's absolutely no question. He's, he's, he's a father of our faith. Moses is the one to whom God delivered words of life on Sinai in the law and words which would point to salvation. However, Jesus 
is worthy of even more glory. And Jesus, as the builder of our salvation, and as we saw way back in Hebrews chapter 1, Jesus is more worthy than the angels. If you remember, we talked about that at length. He's more worthy than the angels, and here we see that Jesus is more worthy than Moses. Jesus is the word of life and the fulfillment of the law, the fulfillment of all to whom the Old Testament prophets would point. Jesus is the fulfillment. And the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself. Whatever does that mean? Well, look at verse 4. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Verse 5. Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. I've used primarily the, the New American Standard translation, but I like to see how other translations word the text. And if you, some of you use NIV, and the NIV writes it this way, Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. Moses is faithful. He bears witness to what God will reveal. Moses is the servant. Moses points to Jesus. Jesus is the New Testament fulfillment of the Old Testament service of Moses. Jesus and Moses, they're connected. Some say Moses and his writings don't matter now. However, (laughs) we see significance given toward the service of Moses, and we see that Jesus should be given even greater worth. There's a lot of folks that may not know that that 75% of this New Testament book is Old Testament material revealing its fulfillment in Jesus. It's not just connected to Jesus, it's fulfilled in Jesus. Last verse this morning. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are. We are the house. If we hold firmly to our confidence and the boast of our hope, Christ was faithful as a son over his house. And Moses is the servant, but Christ is the son. Christ the Messiah, the anointed one. And this title of Christ is used for the first time here in this letter. Christ was faithful as a son over his house. And we are the house. If we hold firmly to our confidence and the boast of our hope. All this is good. Okay. But what do I do when my faith falters? Yeah, what do we do? Truly, what do we do? 
we remember who He is. He is our confidence and He is our hope. You and I, we are to hold firmly to our confidence and the boast of our hope, and that's Jesus. Jesus, you see, Jesus holds to us. We just saw that. We referenced Ephesians 1 and 2 Corinthians 1. Jesus holds to us. How do we know it to be true? I may not feel like it. What does God's Word say? His death, Jesus' death, offering us salvation, that's our confidence. And Jesus' resurrection, that's our hope. Amen. So we do, do we hold firmly to our confidence in Him? Do we boast in our hope in Him? Jesus is our confidence. Jesus is our hope. Jesus, as He was obedient to the Father... As Jesus was faithful to the Father, Jesus is faithful to us. He's faithful to you. He's faithful to me. Do we have faith in his faithfulness? Do we have faith in his faithfulness? So so what is the one big thing that we can do? We like to do, don't we? What's the one big thing we can do to build up our faith? A biblical definition of faith. Let's let's look at this letter to the Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Well-known verse. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence, faith is the evidence of things we cannot, we cannot perceive. We can't see them. Our faith depends on what we know to be true by what we see in God's Word. But oftentimes our faith falters when we are led by feel. We have to be able to trust past what we are able to see. So when we use a phrase like, I hope, often it's, well, we'll see what happens. Gosh, I hope it works out. Yeah, I mean, I'd say it. You say it, I hope, I hope. But when we say Jesus is our hope, that's confidence. His death, his sacrifice gives us righteousness and gives us confidence. And his resurrection gives us hope. Hope and eternal life. We can trust the Lord in his word. Do we have faith in his faithfulness? Jesus is our confidence. Jesus is our hope. Jesus faithful to the Father. Jesus faithful to us.